This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. It's eight minutes after five o'clock on this Saturday morning, and good morning again, and welcome to our Saturday morning show. Orion Samuelson, your host from now until six o'clock, but I'll be joined by several people, including Jim Fazell and Steve Alexander and Max and uh, Mike Pearson and uh, Dennis Smith of Archer Financial. Lots of folks stopping by to say good morning, and it's a dry morning. 50 degrees on my thermometer here at the studio in Huntley, Illinois, and it looks like we'll have a fairly nice day, at least to start the weekend before the rains come back in. And uh, I don't know about you, but as I mentioned to uh, Matt earlier, I had uh, four inches of rain total on the two nights that it rained this week, and so that means uh, gardens got a good moisture lift, and uh, farmers are going to have to park the planters again until the soil dries out because the rains in some areas were were really heavy. A couple of questions I'll try to answer this morning. Uh, some people who are planning a trip to Canada and are wondering about the uh, travel situations there. I'll try to go into that in case you're on that list going to Canada for a fishing trip or something. But uh, we, uh, of course, as I mentioned to Matt earlier, graduations are taking on a different appearance and a different situation this year. The uh, University of Illinois sent me an invite to the uh, graduation ceremonies by television, and that is scheduled to take place at uh, 10 o'clock this morning down at uh, Champaign-Urbana. Jim Fazell standing by to talk gardening with you, and we'll get to Jim when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Well, if we can find him underwater somewhere, we'll get a look at gardening for the week behind and the week ahead. We say good morning to our specialist in ornamental horticulture, Jim Fazell. Let's start with our rain gauge comparisons, Jim. Okay, Orion, how's your canoe, by the way? <laughs> you get it out. <laughs> it, how, much, how much did you get out there in, uh, in Huntley? On Thursday morning, I measured a little over two inches, and Friday morning, I measured 1.83 inches. Wow. So I think Gloria was happy she didn't have to water the plants. Yeah, definitely not. Had to pour the pots out, I guess. Yeah, we uh, we got actually, you know, we got a wet April. We had seven and a half inches in April. Then up to uh, the beginning of this week, we'd only had a half inch this month. All of a sudden, uh, the last two days we had an inch and a half, and then three and a half, or just short of that. We've had four point nine inches so far this week, and uh, more to come. I didn't check the range gauge range gauge this morning to see what we got on Friday, but. Gosh, we've had enough now, and it can stop for a while. In fact, we got enough water now to last us for two or three weeks if we can if we can get it to stop that long. Um, we, we've had enough anyway. Uh, you know, it's interesting to what they expect now for the rest of spring. While we're talking about the weather, 
Uh, the U.S. Weather Service says that we're going to have average temperatures early, slightly above later, but they're saying rainfall above to much above average. Well, I talked to Greg Solier, our wonderful uh, weather guru that we that we talk to regularly, and he said we're going to have a brief warm-up, uh, but then for the remainder of spring and primarily next to the Great Lakes, it's going to be cooler, and then a trend to cooler later. Uh, going deeper into mid-June with a coolish summer and no long-lasting heat or lim- and limited 90-degree days. Then for moisture, he says we're not going to have a shortage. Uh, he said it'll be a little bit drier this coming week and into early June, and then the rest of the summer is going to be uh, pretty well wet. And he said there's going to be a dividing line between about I-57. East of it, it's going to be too wet, and west of that, it's going to be increasingly drier. So that takes much of our state of Illinois as far as farm country is concerned. And, and we could stand it to dry out a little bit to get the crops in. And once they're in, we can get some moisture, but we don't want them to, fo- to float away like some of our gardens did uh, the past couple of days. So temperature-wise, uh, many frost damage uh, at your place? You know, it's very interesting. We did have frost damage, and it was something that was completely unexpected. Hostas. Our hosta plants got really not cooked, but frosted. Um, it killed a lot of the hosta leaves that were up. Uh, that's something I've never seen before because they generally will stand freezing with no problems whatsoever. That they're going to grow back. The little crowns down in the middle are alive. Their green leaves down there are going to start to grow. So these ones that are frozen are going to fall away. We'll collect them, put them in the recycler or bury them, and and it'll be okay for them from then on. But it, that was something I really never expected for, the hosta to be the ones that were damaged. And we had other stuff out that would I've, I would have thought would have been more tender that was perfectly fine. So you never know. Depends on uh, the condition of that particular plant at that particular time, I guess. Don't mess with Mother Nature. So what about the gardens? Well, you know, I, I mentioned last week we want to talk about vertical gardens. And this is a, a way to get around the too little space problem, which many of us have in suburbia, especially people that are trying to grow little gardens in condo associations and, and so forth. Uh, grow the plants on supports, get them up in the air. It does save a lot of room. And it also, in, in, in addition to that, it keeps the vegetables off the ground, tomatoes and cucumbers and so forth. And for us old-timers that don't bend over so easy, it's a lot easier to harvest. You don't have to bend down to pick the things like the tomato tomatoes or the or the uh, cucumbers and so forth there are various kinds of supports that you can use i've got uh, a couple of bean pole towers actually these look like bicycle rims a big one on the bottom and a little one at the top of the pole up the middle and you run strings from the bottom to the top and you can put about a dozen plants around this this and i use that for for pole beans it works very nicely um, you can use trellises, and there are a lot of trellises available, or you can make them. Uh, you can put your plants up those, especially if they're at the side of the yard. You can put a trellis right up next to the to the, to the the lot line and grow your plants up that. Uh, historically, we, we've used stakes in the gardens uh, to tie your plants up. In fact, when I was growing roses in the greenhouses, we grew the the the, um, the long stemmed roses up stakes that we tied each individual flower to the stake to keep it growing straight. And of course, some real popular now are the tomato cages. You can buy these at the garden centers. I'm not real happy with those because they're narrower at the bottom and uh, wider at the top. And actually, what happens is they tip over because the the weight of the tomato plants, in particularly, uh, are are so heavy that they tend to make these things lean over and if you don't have a wide base on them you probably have to stake the cage too anyway i like to make these out of reinforcing wire this is this concrete reinforcing wire it's five feet wide in rolls 
you can buy uh, a piece of uh, uh, long enough that you can make a couple of rolls three feet in diameter, so these would be about nine nine feet. If you buy a 10-foot piece with five foot across that, and cut it down the middle so that you have two two-and-a-half-foot tall tall uh, cages, you can make two cages out of that, and they work fine. I've had some that I've had for 40 to 50 years that aren't rusted away and still work just nicely. So that's something that can be done. And, of course, fences. You can use a fence if you have a wire fence next to your yard or your neighbors have a wire fence and they don't mind you growing stuff up that you can use it to support things now historically when our neighbor next door had a uh, cyclone fence we grew all kinds of things on that fence he and i enjoyed doing that we grew things like pumpkins and we even grew a couple of these little watermelons on there if you're going to do that you need to be prepared to support them because they'll tear the vine off the fence so you make little parachutes out of a strip or or a, a square of cloth and tie a string at each corner put a little hook on it and tie it to the fence so that the fruit can develop in that. These are little parachutes we used to make when we were kids, and you throw them up in the air and they parachute down. Anyway, um, that, that's just a thought on what you can do. And actually, uh, you can do these because we can't get it out in the garden right now, so it gives you time to figure out what kind of supports you want to use, you know, get the materials and get them put together so that when things finally do dry a little bit, you can get back out into the garden. And you need to get back in the garden whenever you can because it's going to be wet later. If you get a, a dry enough spell there where you can work the soil, uh, you can get out to continue to plant things like the coals and tomatoes. Now, there's still about a 25% chance that we're going to get a, another frost. So you need to be careful if you're going to put out very much stuff that you have things that you can cover them up with. Uh, you can sow beans and carrots and greens and so forth because they take a week or more to germinate, and they're not going to be up until we're free of the frost damage uh, danger. Actually, it's still too cool in the soils to plant some of the warm weather things like some of the sweet corns, especially the new hybrid varieties, vines and okra. Their soil temperatures need to be up pretty high into the 70s before these seeds want to germinate and if you sow them when the weather is like it is now cool and the soils are quite wet these seeds are going to rot off before they germinate you don't want to do that wait until it's the time is right and the conditions are right and do your seeding then you're not going to be ahead of the game by putting stuff out early so anyway you can put out some of the things that we mentioned the the um sowing beets and, uh, and those things and setting out the coals and tomatoes. You can also set out some of the flowers, the geraniums, impatiens, marigolds, petunias, and so forth. But, again, be prepared to cover these up if we get another frost on the way. And, as I said, we're, we're still uh, in danger or the possibility of a 25% chance for frost. Anyway, that's about uh, good enough to think about right now. And get out and dig yourself out of the mud. And if you have to garden from a canoe, so be it. We can always grow watercress. Uh, but I have one email question for you that I have to get to you this week. Okay. How soon can I start harvesting what I have growing now? As soon as it's the right size, you can tar- start harvesting it. If you have uh, stuff that you planted very early, like uh, some of the lettuce and Swiss chard, and not Swiss chard, but um, um, you know, some of the greens, not, not just chard, that's not growing yet. But anyway, you can harvest them when they're the right size, especially things like lettuce. Leaf lettuce, you need to take the leaf lettuce off as the leaves get to the right size because as long as the weather is cool, it's going to continue growing. Same thing with spinach. Now, there are times when if you grow spinach, you can pull these little plants out. Now, this is kind of salad spinach. It's got nice tender leaves on it. That works. Um, Anything else that's of the right size, chives, we've already been harvesting chives. And, of course, 
asparagus. Oh, my gosh, I almost forgot asparagus. This yes. is the time of year when asparagus is there. It's ready to harvest. Get it before it gets too tall. Snap them off where they snap easily and get them in and enjoy the asparagus. That season doesn't last very long, but they're sure good when they're here. So there is enough that you can make part of a meal, at least, out of what's already up and growing, and uh, then you harvest as the uh, crops reach maturity, which hopefully will be from now till September or October. Right, right. Very good. All right, my friend. Uh, As always, we appreciate your advice and your support for people who like to garden. I don't know if I mentioned to you, but Burpee, which is probably the best-known seed catalog in the United States, they get into our mailboxes in late winter. But in the month of March... The Burpee Seed Company sold more seed than in any month in its 144-year history. So I guess people are taking advantage of the situation to uh, maybe get back into gardening. I think that's a great idea. That's There's nothing better. Gardening's not fattening. It's not sinful. It's fun. What more could you want? <laughs> and you can get food to uh, cut down the grocery bill. Jim, as always, uh, we appreciate your time with us. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Our specialist in ornamental horticulture, Jim Fazell, here on the Saturday Morning Show. 23 minutes after 5 o'clock. It's uh, 50 degrees on my thermometer in Huntley, Illinois outside my studio and with all of the talk about farmers having to uh, dump milk because of there not being a market for everything they produce Steve Alexander has a visit this morning to share with all of us about uh, one farmer who maybe isn't dumping milk so Steve come on in we are back on the Saturday Morning Show on 720 WGN. Steve Alexander sliding in behind the microphone for just a few minutes to talk about something uplifting for a change. Haven't we had enough bad news about agriculture over the last many weeks? Well, here's a heartwarming story from Wisconsin. With the amount of milk being dumped nationwide increasing, you've no doubt heard Orion talking about it, and perhaps you've experienced it firsthand. With restaurants and schools closed, there's just no place for that milk to go to get processed and sold. So the Sassy Cow Creamery in Wisconsin is giving milk away for free to the needy. It is a multi-generational dairy farm currently operated by brothers James and Robert Bearwolf. And James was kind enough to get on the phone with me and talk about the Kindness Cooler Project. First of all, James, where are you? Oh, we're in Columbus, Wisconsin, which is just 15 minutes outside of Madison. And you not only milk the cows, but you process the milk, too. Yes, yeah. We've always uh, been a traditional dairy farm, like most here in the state. Um, But also we have on-farm processing, so we make milk and ice cream here at the farm. How many cows do you milk, James? Uh, We've got about 800 cows total. Let's talk about the kindness cooler that you have for people who need milk, can't afford to buy milk, can come and pick it up for nothing. First of all, what does it look like? (laughs) Nothing too uh, uh, overly impressive. Just picture a big white refrigerator uh, like you might have in your house, but instead of having all different stuff in that fridge, you open the door and it's just all milk. That's what the kindness cooler is. And where did the idea for this come from, James? For us, we just 
noticed right away um, for, first off all the closings and all the layoffs and all of the news and so um, you know as farmers you're making food and we realized right away that you know one of the essentials is uh, is keeping the fridge full and keeping food on the table. So uh, the kindness cooler is just something that our, I've got three daughters and of course they're home now from school like everyone. And um, so they got plenty of time on their hands besides helping on the farm and creamery. And so for them and, you know, thinking about what was a, a way to connect with our, our neighbors and friends, uh, the most straightforward way we could and that was getting that refrigerator and, and putting it out in front of the creamery. Well, it's been nearly two months since you set the kindness cooler up, James. How's it going? Uh, it's doing very well. We, um, you know, being right outside of Madison, we're within, you know, short driving distance of a lot of people. So uh, there'll be days we'll put uh, 300 gallons through that cooler uh, especially on the weekends the way it works is we just you know um, people that are in need of milk uh, it's just there so we keep it stocked that way people don't need to like track anybody down or or ask or figure out what the logistics are we just we have a fridge out there and we always keep it full of milk the best we can anyway once in a while it can be a little job on the weekend, but... Is there a little bit of an honor system involved here, James? Oh, 100% honor system, yep. Uh, we don't, you know, people that are in need of milk, that's what it's there for. So, you know, because every person's situation is different. You know, you have uh, some have some people have large families, and I mean, I mean, we're all, we all know if you've got kids that are milk drinkers that uh you can go through a gallon pretty quickly so which is good for the dairy industry but that part of it yeah we there's just you know sometimes there's retired people that a half gallon might last them a, a whole week so it just varies now if you're wondering well why don't all dairies do that uh, keep in mind that this dairy farm built its own processing plant so it can sell pasteurized milk and ice cream and other dairy products directly to the public through their on-farm store the sassy cow creamery is in business to make money giving it away well james says that just goes with being part of the community well our um probably what keeps us in business the best uh is a small dairy in farm we rely on our customers being loyal and being part of the community and 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 really have that strong connection so we want to be there um whether it's you know fun summer farm tours and ice cream days or or difficult times like right now you know we're gonna be front and center out there doing what we can so our we've lost a good amount of business with the restaurants and coffee house closings and all those but We've made up a little business in the grocery stores in the meantime. And what kind of feedback have you gotten for the the kindness cooler, James? Oh, it's been really nice. The thing about things like this, you know, it certainly wouldn't be exclusive to us. Any of these projects that people are looking at doing or helping, you get, uh, you know, one, one day I meet a couple that, you know, worked at the same job and they both got laid off. And then on the complete other end of the spectrum i'll i'll get somebody they'll call up and say hey i you know we're doing good but we want to contribute to to what you're doing so 
it's nice to see that on all ends of the spectrum, there's just people are taking the time to think about what they what they can be doing or how they can be helping. And so, so that's real nice to see, too. It's the Kindness Cooler at the Sassy Cal Creamery near Madison, Wisconsin. The Saturday Morning Show on WGN continues right after this. We're at the halfway mark on the Saturday Morning Show. Thank you, as always, for joining us. A reminder that a lot of the farmers' markets, outdoor farmers' markets, are uh, getting underway today. I know here in Huntley, Illinois, it's the opening day for the farmers' market in the village square, and uh, I'll try to talk a little more about that before we hit 6 o'clock. But right now on Chicago's very own 720 WGN, we say welcome to Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and this week I'm going to play a little game with you. Since I am tired of constantly discussing COVID-19 with every report I do, I would like to do something different on this week's edition of Samuelson Says. For decades, I have collected positive statements about America's farmers and ranchers. So I will share some of them with you this week and let you figure out who sent them. No, actually, I will tell you. But let me begin with this one. Quote, The farmer is the only man in our economy who buys everything at retail, sells everything at wholesale, and pays the freight both ways said by President John F. Kennedy. And then our first president, who said, I would rather be on my farm than be emperor of the world, George Washington. You should know this one. God looked down on the earth he created and said, I need a caretaker for this world I have made. And so God made a farmer, our friend Paul Harvey. Another one. Our farmers deserve praise, not condemnation, and the efficiency should be cause for gratitude, not something for which they are penalized. Again, President John F. Kennedy. And then the essayist Jonathan Swift said, Whoever makes two ears of corn or two blades of grass to grow where only one grew before deserve better of mankind and does more for essential service to his country than the whole pack of politicians put together. And then I will end with this one. This one said by Irish singer Margaret Atwood. If you're a farmer in the spring, at the end of the day, you should smell like dirt. Yes, and I hope a lot of you are smelling like dirt these days because the planting is moving along. And let's hope that we'll avoid floods, drought, and everything else we seem to experience last year. Those are my wishes for you. Also, have a great week. Be safe and be well. My thoughts on Samuelson Says... A presentation of Nexstar Media Group at 25 minutes before 6 o'clock, 50 degrees on my thermometer in Huntley, Illinois, and I think we'll have at least part of a pretty good day weather-wise. So get out, enjoy, and uh, do the things you 
heard Jim Fazell talking about putting the garden together and uh, that sort of thing. The uh, thing that I mentioned at the outset, uh, I received an email from a listener who wants to go to Canada to go fishing and uh, wondered what's the situation between uh, Canada and the United States on travel. This week, Canada and the U.S. said they likely will extend a ban on non-essential travel until June 21st. Canada and the U.S. had agreed on April 18th to extend border restrictions until May 21st as cases of the disease continue to rise in both nations. And Canada is now pressing for the measures to stay in place for another month. Canadian source said it's too early to lift the restrictions, so we're working toward an extension. And he was describing the talks with Washington as being positive. And on Tuesday, the chief Canadian public health officer said the U.S., where cases are increasing steadily, presented a risk to Canada. So not only states who are going uh, opposite directions with each other, but countries are doing the same. But right now, uh, let's uh, take the time to uh, check in and uh, look at uh, the activities that we have agriculturally and garden-wise. And as I said, farmers markets in some cities are open today for the first time this spring. And there will be different rules for going to a farmer's market this year. So make sure you follow the protocol for going to a place where there will be more than 10 people and uh, follow the rules that the farmer's markets have set up for you because that is important. Time to talk markets, and uh, let's say good morning to a gentleman that we're calling on often to help during this pandemic situation, uh, Mike Pearson with his special guest. Mike. Now let's take a look at what is happening in the livestock markets. To help us make sense of everything, we've got Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services with us. Dennis, we have seen a lot of volatility return to the cattle markets. We've got limit up, we've got limit down. When you take a step back and analyze the state of the futures markets in particular, what's the general trend we're seeing here in cattle? The chart pattern is positive. We've, we've uh, plunged the market lower, come up and turning choppy, but we are chopping above some of the important moving average. So first of all, the trend, I think, is upward. We still have uh, contracts June and August substantially below the cash market. And guess what? The cash steer market now starting to head higher, not lower. So I think the market is in choppy, volatile fashion, is poised to eventually go higher. Well, you mentioned the cash market there. Looking at a week ago, we saw incredible variability in cash prices paid across the country. What is the, the historical precedence for that? I mean, we had trades on a dress basis, 146 to 180. That's a huge spread. Dennis, is that something we see very often in the industry? No, honestly, Mike, we saw a 10 cent range in the cash steer market on Friday. The following Monday, as I recall, it was a 15 cent range in the cash market. That's in the live cash market. And many years you can go all summer long 
and not see a 10 cent range in the cash market. So that's the type of uncertainty. That's the type of volatility that, that we are dealing with as we wade through this uh, this coronavirus. We wade through the factors of a, of, a, of a severe situation at the packing plant and, of course, an unseen, unheard of uh, food service sector that's been completely shut down. Well, when we talk about the processing plant bottleneck, this has been really the headache of the industry over the past four weeks, these shutdowns at plants. Dennis, you've talked to a lot of folks in the industry. You're well-connected. What is the status of most beef processing plants as we speak here right now? There's there's several things to keep in mind. First of all, the, the chain speed is going to be slower than what it was before the virus because of the protective measures in place now to protect the employees. That is going to be a fact of life for the foreseeable future, and I'll say the foreseeable future, meaning the rest of this year. The USDA is pretty much in line with that. In the latest meat supply demand table, they basically indicated that we will not get through this backlogged cattle supply during the course of the entire year. They just simply revised down beef production by a huge 1.6 billion pounds. In other words, the industry is going to have to sort of place their way out of it. Placements will drop. We will continue to work through heavyweight and backlog supplies for the rest of the year under a slower chain speed. Well, and that's the thing. These heavier weight animals, we have been seeing carcass weights come down, but they're still considerably above a year ago on the five-year average. Dennis, I mean, do you anticipate us tightening or becoming more current here in the foreseeable future, perhaps over the summer? Yeah, it'll take, it'll take all summer and, and all fall to, to work through these backlog supplies. So unfortunately, cattle weights are going to stay very heavy. They're going to stay substantially higher than a year ago. And that is going to be a negative factor. The positive factor will be we'll simply be processing fewer animals each week and overall beef production will be down. We've got a chat about the hog market. Reuters published a story really bringing to the consumer's attention that exports to China have been on the rise through this first quarter of 2020, despite the fact that a lot of folks can't find pork or they're having trouble finding pork in the grocery store. Let's dive into these export numbers in particular. Just how much has China been buying over the first quarter of this year? Well, China's definitely stepped up their buying. They've almost bought and booked as much pork this year as they did all of last year. And we anticipate this trend to remain in place. In other words, China should be a very large, very strong buyer of U.S. pork for the rest of the year. And this is something we've been counting on, something the pork producers have been counting on uh, in the face of an unprecedented uh, backlog now. It's really important to to keep these exports alive and well as we have to demonstrate that we are a reliable supplier of pork to the world. Now, this is raising some consumer questions. If we don't have pork for U.S. grocery stores, how do we have pork to ship to China? Dennis, what's the answer to that question? Well, the answer is uh, we, we need to keep the export markets open and we need to work at the packer level to to solve a labor problem, a very serious labor problem, and to try to get these animals processed as quickly and as efficiently as possible uh, while keeping the employees as as safe as possible. So it's it's a real fine line here where are we going to be a reliable exporter or are we not going to be a reliable exporter? And 
the pork industry has been working on building up this export market for years. They have indeed. And of course, you mentioned we've got to get through this backlog. Dennis, with the plants coming back online, I know earlier this week we had 100% of plants operating, albeit at, at lower capacity. Have we turned a corner in the backlog of hogs? Are we going to stop seeing them back up? And when do you think we're going to start clearing up this backlog? We're getting closer, Mike. We are improving, but we're still backing hogs up. This week, for example, we probably backed up close to uh, 300,000 hogs. About 90,000 a day is what we're backing up at the current slaughter pace. All plants are approximately 70% of capacity. I am hearing the good news is this will continue to improve. This will continue to, to increase. Maybe by the first week of June, we'll be back to processing, say, 2.2 million head a week, uh, getting close to where we should be, close to where we're not backing up hogs. Dennis, before we let you go, we have seen a price pullback here this past week in the futures markets. With the uh, the backlog maybe coming to an end here over the next several weeks or months, do you anticipate futures prices to turn around? Well, we're bullish right now. We think that June hogs, which uh, are currently priced about $10 under the May, May hogs are going off this week uh, or, or going off as of today's broadcast. We are expecting the, the hog contracts to show some upside potential. Uh, uh, although volatile in nature, I consider all of the hog contracts undervalued right now. All right. Well, thoughts there from Dennis Smith from Archer Financial Services. Dennis, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. We're at 14 minutes before 6 o'clock, and uh, let me share with you an email that arrived on my computer yesterday from Kimberly Meenan at uh, the University of Illinois, who said, I wanted to share that this weekend the ACES community will welcome over 700 new graduates to the alumni family at the U of I, and we'd like for you to be a part of the celebration. So uh, Kimberly invited me and everyone else to join ACES graduates and their many supporters for a virtual celebration starting at 10 o'clock this morning. After that, then share the celebration video via email and social media so even more people can help honor the graduates until it's safe to celebrate them on campus together. You may also share this message and the link to the graduation webpage in advance on Saturday. So uh, U of I, College of Aces, graduation via TV or technology at 10 a.m. today, and uh, they'll follow that with coverage of some of the celebration going on to uh, honor the 700 graduates from the College of Aces who uh, will become part of the Illinois alumni family. Max Armstrong is uh, standing by to uh, share his weekly report on crop conditions, and we'll get to that when we continue on the Saturday morning show. Well, it's time to get our weekend field report. Let's check with Kurt Martins, a BASF technical service representative. I am guessing that some of your farms have way too much water, Kurt, after the kind of rains we've had this week. It's been rather remarkable to see the amounts piled into some of these fields. Is that right? 
Yeah, you bet. You bet. Some areas were, were needing rain. Some areas weren't. Some areas caught uh, anywhere from an inch to a couple, three inches. So it's kind of all over the board. Some areas that were wet early need this rain to, to break up a crust. So it's, it's all over the board. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that. I had seen some social media pictures in recent days uh, that uh, the new sprouts were struggling to get up through that crust. And uh, if you didn't get flooding rains, I suppose it was just what the doctor ordered, if you could get a half inch or maybe three quarters of an inch of rain. That's right. It was, it was uh, yeah, those areas, they, they needed that rain. It's good. Uh, we had a lot of herbicides go out in the last week or so. So good, good incorporating rains for those herbicides just in time. The water hemp's going to be popping out of the ground here this week, probably. I was going to ask you, with the cooler temperatures that we've had, has that slowed down some of the problems that generally pop up in the fields by now? It sure has on the on the weed side of things. Uh, of course, our earlier merging annual weed, like giant ragweed and lamb's court, have been, been coming for quite some time. But the water hemp's been, been holding off. It needs a certain amount of heat to, to get going. But, uh, but now that looks like the heat's going to get turned on, and, and those weeds and the grass, it's, it's going to start coming on now. The heat will be welcome, to be sure, but then that does bring along those problems. Any insect pressure yet? We're seeing some black cutworms farther to the south in Missouri. Uh, something to, to, to watch out for if you've got some greener fields in this area. Be, be on the watch out uh, for, for maybe some black cutworms feeding on the newly emerged corn. So it's been, it's been past the south, so we need to watch out for it up north here. Before too long, you'll be uh, talking about uh, disease concerns. We're not there yet, are we? No, no, not not yet. Uh, crops just getting out of the ground here now, so we we need to worry about our early season weed control right now. Uh, we need to get, uh, especially on the corn, we need to get our side dressing done if if, uh, if that needs to happen yet. So we've got a couple other things to worry about before diseases. Before the rains came in, we had a pretty good window to get work done, did we not? Well, there was a lot of uh, pre-plant work that was completed, I, as I recall, just visiting with some of the, my grower friends and dealer friends in recent days. Yes, yes. Uh, in uh, in the part of eastern Iowa that I cover in western Illinois, uh, planting both corn and soybeans is uh, 100% finished, but we're, we're pretty darn close. Uh, maybe some guys still need to wrap up some beans. So we're obviously much farther ahead than last year, which is we're very thankful for that. And we've got a, being planted this early, uh, we've got a, a good start to the crop here. Replant will be a concern. Certainly growers will be out walking the fields and checking. Some who escaped the cold a few days ago did not escape the excessive rain. So I guess they'll be uh, checking to see just what is going to have to be patched in in some spots. Yep, yep, definitely, definitely. Time to time to get out, look at your fields. Uh, everything should be popping out of the ground here. Anything that's been planted the last week or two should be coming out of the ground this, this coming week. So everyone needs to get out, check your stands, see what needs to be addressed. We saw you on television last weekend. You were there in a hangar uh, belonging to an aerial applicator. Are those planes still parked? They'll be swinging into action before too long, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're getting them buttoned up for the season. Uh, I think they'll be sending, sending some of those south uh, to do some work uh, in the Delta here pretty soon. Uh, we do have uh, in wheat country, especially in like Missouri and that area, it's, it's uh, time for head scab application. So I know some of those planes are going to start going south to start spraying some wheat. So they'll be busy. Good talking to you, Kurt. Thanks for joining us this morning. We'll uh, check in with you again in a few days. Sounds good. Thanks, Max. Kurt Martins, Technical Service Representative, BASF.
We did have another interesting uh, week of trading in agricultural commodities at the Board of Trade and the Mercantile Exchange. Wheat futures yesterday fell and recorded their biggest weekly slide in a month, pulled down by rising global stockpiles and improving crop prospects in Europe that signaled some strong competition for wheat export business, soybeans and corn closed modestly higher in a fairly narrow trading range. The uh, July wheat settled down two cents at a quarter of a penny above $5 per bushel. But for the week, the contract fell 21 and three quarters cents a bushel. That's about 4.2%. July soybeans ended up a penny and a half yesterday at $8.38 and a half cents a bushel, but posted a weekly decline of 12 cents or 1.4%. And July corn settled yesterday. Yesterday, up a penny and three quarters at three nineteen and a quarter a bushel, and pretty much unchanged for the week. The Department of Agriculture this week projected that U.S. wheat exports would decline in 2020-21 from the previous year, while exports from Russia, Australia. Canada and Argentina would increase. So again, the wheat coming out of Europe and out of Russia will continue to hold down the wheat market at the Chicago Board of Trade. Then we take a look at the livestock markets as live cattle futures closed higher yesterday. The front month contract gaining against the back months led by higher cash cattle prices. Cash cattle traded as high as $120 per hundredweight in the Southern Plains yesterday. That's up from trades a week earlier that had ranged from 95 to $116 per hundredweight. And as slaughterhouses start to come back online, livestock futures markets have remained volatile. Dan Norsini, an independent livestock trader, said it's a weird, weird situation. We're seeing beef prices coming down from the stratosphere. Everyone sees this and is trying to figure out what it will mean in the live cash markets. Packer profit margins on Friday remained extraordinarily high at more than $900 per head for cattle, according to the advisory service HedgersEdge.com. And uh, some traders suspect that meatpackers are paying up for cash cattle out of fears of the federal investigation into meat price disparities. So that's something else we'll keep an eye on. Lean hog futures at the Merck yesterday settled down 87 cents a hundredweight at $57.87, and the July contract ended down a dollar five cents per hundredweight. So that sums up the week's trade, and uh, we'll be ready for the adventures next week because they certainly are. With that tagline, because of the pandemic, because of COVID-19, and all of the other reasons they give us. A reminder that uh, with the pandemic, uh, Harvard Milk Days will not be held the first weekend of June this year. They're going to delay Harvard Milk Days to October 16, 17, and 18. 
So put that on your calendar. You can still celebrate the dairy industry here in McHenry County at Harvard uh, come October of this year. So that's our time. Our thanks, as always, to uh, Bob Ferguson. He's the engineer downtown Chicago who puts all of this together along with me. And, of course, I'm always grateful to you for joining us here on the Saturday Morning Show. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.